Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. You can always download the Odyssey app for free and take the show with you on the go. Just search 910 The Fan. It gives you the ability to pause the show, rewind, pick up right where you left off here on 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for the Washington Capitals, the Nats, the Commanders, the Flying Squirrels, VCU Hoops, and your Washington Wizards with the radio party. Dave Johnson joins us right now for a Wizards Wednesday on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. What's going on, Dave? Hey, we're uh, one more game before the All-Star break, and this this team is making uh, real progress and improvement on defense. Uh, you're just feeling it and, and sensing it. And you know, I think Kyle Kuzma said the best thing the other night. You don't you're not focused on you know. It doesn't feel like a whatever it is a seven game losing streak because the, the team is is making improvements, and that was you know evidenced by the, the game against Dallas Mavericks on Monday night. Look, they they made the Mavericks squirm, and and they could have won that, and it came down to one team made more shots in the fourth quarter, and uh, the, the Wizards did not, and that's what sometimes NBA basketball comes down to. But guess what? The 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 Mavericks, you know, <laughs> had better players uh, to to rely on to close out the game, and that's that's what happens in NBA basketball. You you rely on your stars, like the Mavericks did, to, to close out games. But you know that doesn't uh, you know overshadow the real progress you felt from that. And you know I think uh, this being the last game before the All Star break. Uh, you, you know, sometimes you, it, 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 when you're in a situation, it's almost like the last day of school because you got a break coming up or whatever. <laughs> but I, I have a feeling this this focus is going to be here for this team tonight because they want uh, they've been so close in games against Boston. Again, Boston on the road could have won that one. Uh, Philadelphia at home could have won that one. These are quality teams. I know Philadelphia without Joel and B, but it, it doesn't matter. Still a quality team. Um, so I, I really, you know, have a good feeling that it's going to be a good showing tonight and. You know, we'll see what happens before the All-Star break. I will tell you, though, Denny Avdia is on a heater in February. He's, he's almost doubling up his average. Last three games, two of them double-doubles, 24 points, 21, and then 25. He had 13 and 11 rebounds against Philly and Boston, respectively. He's just been terrific this month. Well, not only this month, but this is, this is uh, again, it's, it didn't just like happen this month, but th- those numbers did. And as you said, it, it shows you know dramatic improvement. But that's that's part of the trajectory uh, he's been on all season. Uh, you know, he, he signed the contract the extension before uh, the start of the season, and uh, you know he all he's done is shown that that was a smart move by by the Wizards, which is what he wanted to do. It, it's uh, I still remember talking to him before the season that uh, there's nothing like feeling wanted, and and he's rewarded the Wizards with that. And and this is. You know, as, as fans of the Wizards and listeners, this is what you want to hear. Uh, that is Denny Avdia better in February than he was in the yes, and and you know that's what is is. And you can go right down the list of, of players that are that are or are, are, they're trying. The Wizards are trying to develop, um, and and the answer is yes. Is Daniel Gafford, who's no longer on the Wizards, is he better in February? Than he than he was in November. Well, the answer is yes because he he was used to get a first round draft pick in a trade with the Mavericks. If Daniel Gafford had not shown improvement, the Wizards aren't able to make get a first round draft pick, uh, which are valuable uh, assets in the NBA. Um, so that this is what you know this journey this season has been all about. You want players 
to to continue to to make improvements. And I you know I think Denny Abdia, uh, the guy I forget the analyst for ESPN said it on on draft night. My name is escaping me, but said that in a few years he might be looked upon as the steal of the draft. Well. Mm-hmm. You know, as he goes through a couple seasons, and certainly we heard from people saying, "Well, I, you know, uh, 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 we want more from." Well, no, we're getting more from him now, and and this is why when you have young talent, you know, it's 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 important uh, that you go through a process with them and they grow. And he's stronger. He's making three pointers. Uh, he's just a different player this year. Um, I don't know. Di- different might be too strong, but he's just a vastly improved player from last year at this time, and that's what you want to see. Dave Johnson with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Dave, what changes would you point to that you've noticed under the new interim coach, Brian Keefe? Well, uh, you know, I, I just think um, they're, they're trying, you know, different lineup combinations. Again, none of this is a is a, um, a, a slight on Wes Unsell Jr. I, I think uh, it, it gets back to why they made uh, maybe the move when they talk about something as simple as a new voice and uh, that doesn't mean what Wes Unsell Jr. was saying was wrong, but this is this is what happens in sports. Sometimes you get a sense that um, you know you need a new voice, and and that certainly you know got a wake up call. It, what, what can happen, you know, and, and it, we're we're talking about as much as we have artificial intelligence and all these things out there. We're still talking about human beings, and it's not that they're consciously not trying for Wes Unsell or whatever, but I, I certainly you know a. a a coaching change, you know, wakes up the locker room, um, and and it, I, I just think the the, uh, the the competitive spirit has been uh, re-energized to the point where uh, you're, you're seeing the Wizards, uh, you know, go on the road, Boston uh, again. They they <laughs> could have won that game, and I, I and the point is, in some seasons when you're competing for the playoffs, could have won is a bad thing but in this season with the Wizards against a team like Boston could have won put themselves in a position to win that's actually a a positive and they did that uh, by bringing the effort first of all on the the defensive end and again the other night you know Luka Doncic still gets a million assists or whatever he finished with but you know they went with the defensive plan and you know made it tough on the Mavericks uh, quite frankly and and um you know Luca is so good that that uh, even when you make it tough on him he's still going to have a, a you know amazing night but the the fact that it, it was a fourth quarter game uh is is significant so I, I and, and as Kyle Kuzma said they were even trying defenses and in practice uh in the fourth quarter and so uh they're just it's going to be experimenting trying different lineups uh you know just buckle up hang on for the ride and we'll see what happens last i guess what is it now i I can't do the math anymore it's less than 30 games i think dave the athletic article on kyle kuzma is getting pretty good run on social media and and i've seen espn talking about it as well in which kuzma said quote michael winger presented me with what the trade was and obviously didn't want to trade me to dallas and kind of left the decision up to me a little bit and asked me what i wanted to do i told him i wanted to stay and continue to build something and that was kind of the end of it winger then called the mavericks back and said the deal was off the table it is really insightful the kuzma is talking about uh you know this trade process here why do you think the wizards left it up to kuzma well, I think, and listeners say, well, radio know that this is something we talked about 
uh, at the start of the season that 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 Kyle Cruzo wanted to be here, um, and and he made the decision to be here knowing that he wasn't coming back to a team built for the playoffs now, and so uh, it, you know it, it totally to me is is not a shock. It is in uh, character. And to your question of of why. Um, you know, they they went to Kyle Kuzma on this and left it up to him because, again, they didn't have to. I mean, it was not a no-trade. He didn't have a no-trade clause or et cetera. Um, it, it also speaks to uh, the transparency and, and uh, the way Michael Winger, the president of the, the Wizards, said also that, that going forward it's going to be a collaborative process. Um, and so they made a decision to, to re-sign Kyle Kuzma uh, but if, if for some reason Kyle Kuzma, you, you know, you, you make you make a decision in July, maybe your thinking is not the same in February. So, you, you know, you go to the player, uh, and this is my opinion, not, uh, you know, anything I know for sure, but I, I just believe that, that uh, you know, the, you don't want a player who suddenly doesn't want to be here uh, because that's not going to help build uh, an identity or culture, and that's that's true for any team. So, uh, I think as Michael Winger talked to, to Kyle Kuzma, and again, you know, uh, we're sitting on whatever wins we have, nine wins or something, and he's still saying the same commitment, then there's your answer. Yeah. There's your answer. He wants to be a part of this process. And it gets back to, and I think he said, you know, some of that was in the Athletic uh, article by our good friend Josh Robbins, you know, the, the, uh, he's won a championship with the Lakers. That doesn't mean he doesn't want, don't want to win multiple or more. Uh, but it's it's a he wants to carve out something different in his career now, and that is uh, he's not the role player uh, with the Wizards. He's he's a, a main player with the Wizards, and that's why you know he definitely, in my belief, but I think he stated resigned, and you know I just think it it shows also about for fans, you know how we're going to go about this this process. If it's if it and again it also says to players that are coming here during the process. I think it makes a strong statement. Well, wait a minute. This is a front office that, that is, is, work, is working with the players. In, in other words, I'm not going to come to Washington and, and you know they're not going to care about me as a player, my career as well. So uh, I, I think it's a, it's a great statement of how the Wizards are doing uh, uh, business, if you will, uh, that there, it's a, there is a collaborative process between the front office and the players. Yeah, and, and look, I, I think there's something to be said about you know the more you get traded, the easier it is to, you know to be traded in the future. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie now has been tossed around the league like dirty laundry, and Kuzma doesn't want to be like that. And also, I will say he's on a, a decent deal where he's owed less money each year. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised as his value keeps increasing if the Wizards maybe traded him next year or just kept to use him as, as a focal point here uh, of the offense. It's not like he's been playing bad. He's getting closer uh, to an all-star level. And so I, I like the decision. Uh, I thought it was really interesting that, that Kuzma was so uh, open about the whole situation here. But um, yeah, I mean, look, this is a, a Wizards team that's building for the future and they didn't want to just trade Kuzma just to trade him. They want to eventually move pieces to make sure they get first round picks and plenty of them in return as I believe the future is bright, Dave. I believe in this franchise. Yeah, no, I, well, again, if you talk to – it's hard not to, to believe when you talk to Will Dawkins or Michael Winger. They, they've done it before. And, again, doing it before with you know other places, Oklahoma City, et cetera, doesn't mean – there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees. But 
the point is they, they know what needs to be done and what they should be looking for and the type of players and how to, to, to build uh, identity. And, and they, you know, again, Will Dawkins said to me last week, and, and maybe I shared it with you, that, you know, they're not going to cheat the process. Uh, and that they also, they are trying to build an identity. So even in a point three years from now, as there's an NBA draft, you say, well, that's a Wizards player. That's a Wizards player. Meaning not, not that the Wizards have, you know, 10 draft picks in the first round, but that the Wizards have an identity that you can start to watch college basketball or whatever and say, well, wait a minute, you know, he'd be good, a good fit because, uh, for the Wizards because of the way they play. And that's, that's part of what they're, they're trying to create here. Dave, always appreciate you taking the time, man. Thanks a lot. Always. Thank you so much. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on the New Sports Radio 910 The Fan now at 105.1 FM. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the New Sports Radio 910 The Fan now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open 833-804-0910. Call AWOD 833-804-0910. It is Wednesday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, Stubb. Happy Valentine's Day. If you had a special loved one out there, do you have any idea what you would get them? What I would get? Ooh, it's tough. Because I, I, I just read an article that the most popular Valentine's Day gift this year has been a Theragun Sense Massage Gun. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah. And I kind of I get it. Yeah. I kind of you know, get I, it, right? I, yeah. you, if, if you're complaining about good, back pain or neck pain, boom, I spent 80 bucks on a Theragun. There you go. It's a good gift. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to think of a default one. I tend to try to make it pretty specific, yeah. you know, to the person. So I, I, I kind of got nothing. <laughs> I guess right now. <laughs> Did you ever get a text back from your ex-girlfriend about her sending you a pizza? Okay, so she looked it up, and apparently it's only in New York, Chicago, and another city. Oh, she was actually committed to sending you the pizza. And I said, okay, you better start driving. <laughs> get, get up to New York. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for my pizza. <laughs> oh, it's good to know that you still get along with your exes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. Here on the Richmond Commander, the question of the day is, what do you think of the Commander's off-season hires so far? 833-804-0910. It's time for the Richmond Commander. Are you ready for the phones are open. It's your chance to be the quarterback of this segment. There's something I like to say. Every day at 1 p.m. on AWOD Radio, the Richmond Commander. There's a good article this morning on Sports Illustrated about the Washington football team. It says, Commanders, path towards relevancy starts with the quarterback decision. The Washington Commanders face a defining offseason, and with the superb cards they have been dealt, they can't afford to mess it up. And look, this is why I've been saying... Stop. This is the most important offseason for this franchise in the past 20 years. We finally moved on from the dark cloud that was the owner, Dan Snyder. There are no more excuses anymore, right? For years, when something went wrong, when the team struggled, it was, well, we'll never win with Dan here in charge. That's not the case anymore. It's about damn time we become a relevant NFL franchise once again. Well, it's already began. It started with Josh Harris hiring a competent GM. Young assistant GM from San Francisco, Adam Peters, comes to Washington. Well, he hired quarter, uh, excuse me, Dan Quinn. The thing is about this Adam Peters hires, Snyder never hired a GM and gave him full power in 25 seasons. So we've finally done that. It's we've new. separated it's church new. and state, basically, right? We have the ownership here. 
which is not going to control everything. He's not going to be doing the totalitarian approach. He's going to let Adam Peters make those decisions. Peters hired Dan Quinn to be a leader of men. He's got a good track record. It's his second stint becoming a head coach after having success in Atlanta, leading them to the Super Bowl. Well, it's time to pair this coach with a young offense coordinator. That's why they went with Cliff Kingsbury, and now you've got to pair him with a rookie QB. Washington holds the number two pick in the upcoming NFL draft and has the most salary cap room in the entire league. These are reasons why things are looking up. Here are the options, you ask. What can the commanders do this offseason? Well, number one, you can move up to number one and draft Caleb Williams. And I will keep banging that drum. Draft Caleb Williams. Draft Caleb Williams. Look, I get it. There's some red flags. He's a local kid that hasn't worked out in the past the last two times we did that with the late Dwayne Haskins and Chase Young, who moved over to San Francisco. I don't think that should stop you from going to the well again of a local kid in Caleb Williams, who's a Heisman Trophy winner, who I believe is going to be a pro bowler in the first five years of his career. I think he's going to be a star right away. I think of the three quarterbacks that will most likely go in the top five, he's the one that's ready to play right away. You do everything. You move heaven and earth to draft Caleb Williams if I was the GM. That's option number one. Option number two, sit pretty at number two. Draft Drake May or Jaden Daniels, whoever's available, and roll the dice with that guy. Roll the dice with the Heisman Trophy winner and Jaden Daniels that's being compared to Lamar Jackson. He's a superstar athletic freak. Might not have the best um, quarterback accuracy, but he could certainly make plays with his legs. Then there's Drake May, who a lot of people would argue is the most NFL-ready quarterback because he's so big and so strong. Reminds a lot of people of Josh Allen. So those are your options to sit there at number two. Option number three, move back, trade back. Find a way to bring in more draft picks for this season and next season. I I was just looking at a mock draft by Pro Football Focus. They have the Denver Broncos trading up to number two with the Washington Commanders to to take a quarterback. So you move back. You acquire more draft picks, grab an offensive lineman or two, and maybe you draft Michael Penix, Bo Nix, or another quarterback. Option number four, bring in a veteran to help build up Sam Howell. And if you like that option, Kirk Cousins may actually be on the table. Stubb, you have been been. all in on Kirk 2.0. Explain your reasoning for that. Well, I, I don't know if you saw, but uh, recently on the the betting slips, Kirk Cousin to Washington is the most likely option, according to Vegas right Doesn't now. Doesn't mean it's a good choice, Doesn't mean but it's a good it choice. is the most likely and, option now. And yes. as much as I'm in on Kirk Cousins, I had I had a realization last night. Ooh, okay. I'm thinking about the wrong Vikings quarterback. Bring my boy Joshua Dobbs <laughs> to <laughs> oh the Washington God. Commanders. We buried <laughs> him. him. We buried him. I completely forgot about we him. We held a funeral compl- for him. <laughs> Come on now. All right, here's what Sports <laughs> Illustrated say. They say the second option could be to bring in Kirk Cousins as a mentor. At his price point, he'd undoubtedly start over whatever rookie was drafted in April. A Cousins acquisition, though, means Washington would either take an elite talent, presumably receiver wide, uh, wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr., or an offensive tackle or trade down to accumulate more value. Perhaps Washington prefers the value of a Michael Penix or another day two quarterback that you could pair with a Kirk Cousins who would start right away. There are certainly 
a lot of rumors circulating about Kirk Cousins. I believe he's going to stay in Minnesota. I don't yep. think Minnesota lets him walk out the door. When you saw the impact he made, with him playing quarterback, they were scoring a lot of points. Without him, they had a game in which they scored zero. They that legit had a game that in which is- they scored zero <laughs> points. <laughs> That's Dob- hard to do in the NFL. Dobbs had some good games. Yeah, like Especially one or two. Yeah. Well, he played three, so. Yeah. And we put him to bed, Stubb. It's time to stop talking about Josh Dobbs. It really is. So, here's another reason to be excited for Washington's offseason. They have the most cap space. It's about $83.5 million. And this is a league here that you can build around a young quarterback who's on a rookie deal. So, whether that's Sam Howe, Drake May, Caleb Williams, you know, whatever, Adam Peters has a lot of wiggle room here to make moves this offseason. There are a lot of things to be excited about. It feels to me like the commanders have been handed the keys to unlocking the door and walking out of the NFL's basement. We've been the laughing stock of this league forever. We've been handed the keys because I would have fired Ron Rivera. I would have fired Ron Rivera and gone with anyone. And I think anybody would have been better than Ron, and anybody would have won a game or two and probably not ended up with the number two overall pick. Right? It would have been a bad play. I would not have traded Montez Sweat and Chase Young. And if we, if we had done that, we would not have had nearly $90 million in cap space. So Josh Harris kind of made all the right moves this year, being a fly on Absolutely. the wall. Now it's a chance for him to bust through that door and become relevant again in the National Football League. How do you do it? I think the quickest way to relevancy, number one, you build a strong defense. They brought in a defensive-minded coach and Dan Quinn. Number two, you need a quarterback. That's why I like Washington grabbing one with the number two overall pick. We had David Harrison on the show yesterday. What did he say? About 85% chance Washington drafts a quarterback at number two. I would put it towards 95%. I mean, I I get it. There's the option of Kirk Cousins. You know, Baker Mayfield could be an option. Jameis Winston could be an option. Justin Fields trading for him. Uh, I don't think that this staff wants to swing like that. I think I think the cliff is a big reason we get a, 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 young, a young quarterback. quarterback. I think that's because the- that's his thing. Is he's been a quarterback whisperer, and if you get a young quarterback. That's not in the draft. The only other option I would be interested in is Justin Fields. Maybe Cliff could kind of train him up yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he's pretty young, so. right? Because he's still pretty young. Yep. Uh, but I just I like the I like the option of drafting a quarterback in the draft, and I really like Caleb Williams. I just I think every year you say the same thing, right? There's only one team that won the Super Bowl, and it was the team that had Patrick Mahomes. Brock yeah. Purdy was really good. He's not Patrick Mahomes. You need to keep swinging in the draft until you find your version of Patrick Mahomes. Just turns out to be that Caleb Williams is being compared to a young Patrick Mahomes. That's why I think he's your answer. This is this is a sad conversation we're having. You why know, is people that? in Kansas City are like, "Oh, we're gonna get a three-peat. We're fighting for someone to consider us a team. We're fighting to <laughs> to win more than four games. Exactly. We want to That's- improve." From last season. We're fighting for relevance. Yeah. <laughs> Not right. wins, just to be a known we, team. We, just, we have to get out of the cellar of the NFC East. Yeah. That's why, look, this is not a one-year turnaround. You have to trust the process, but I do trust that Dan Quinn should be able to get us to more than five and a half wins. You should yeah. be able to make a two-win improvement every single year, especially when you hire a new coach, you have six draft picks in the first 102, and you can draft a quarterback. You should be able to improve. Yes, you and should. And it's not like Sam Howell was amazing this year. I'm, I'm a Sam Howell guy. I think he's going to be an NFL quarterback for a long time. But my goodness, did he have a lot of interceptions. 
And he really fell off a cliff the final five games of the season. Just was not the same guy. He got nope. beat up too much because Ron didn't value the offensive line. So that's why I've already said this. I'm going to say it again. I want Caleb at number two. I want three offensive linemen. And then I want two more defensive players in the first six picks in the first 102 of this year's upcoming NFL draft. If you want to chime in, 833-804-0910. That's 833-804-0910. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for the best high school football play-by-play. And, of course, you had the All-Metro Banquet last week with Gary Hess. He'll join us at 2.15 for a drive down Richmond Highway with the czar and the sports director here at WRNL, Gary Hess. But joining us right now for the Cowan Gates Hokies Update, it's Bill Roth. What's going on, Bill? Hey, man, it's good to talk with you. It's already been an exciting week here for the Hokies. It's going to continue tomorrow night and then over the weekend. A big win over Florida State last night in Castle. And tomorrow night, Adam, uh, the Virginia Tech-Duke women's basketball game. Uh, it's the rematch of the last time Tech actually lost in women's hoops. That was at Duke. Uh, Castle is sold out again. That'll be the third sellout in a row for the women's basketball team in Blacksburg, and should be a great game. And then over the weekend, they've got two big games. The men are in Chapel Hill, and the women on Sunday uh, play at Louisville in an ESPN game Sunday at 2. So these are these are two really big games for the women's team, and uh, a lot of excitement for both of the clubs, particularly after the way the men played last night. Absolutely, and let's start right there as the Hokies uh, get a much-needed victory over Florida State thanks to the sharp shooting from Hunter Couture and Sean Padula going 14 of 16 from the free throw line. Uh, Bill, I I said at the top of my show, when the two are combining for 39 points, they can beat any team in the ACC. You know, it's interesting. You made a good point about the free throws. I just checked. Tech is fourth in the nation in free throw percentage. Mm. And that's important because, you know, they've got to win in the margins, which is essentially the case for every ACC team except North Carolina but I don't know after the way they played at Syracuse yeah I guess that was last yeah I mean everybody you you can't go out and 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 have a bad shooting night and a bad defensive night and win in our league I thought two things last night but you're right the uh, Couture had a season high and the Hokies hit 11 threes and all of their free throws essentially so that was good you know, they got every loose ball. They were quicker to the rebounds. And I think one of the reasons is Mike Young played more people last night. He went to his bench early. More people played in the first half than did at Notre Dame Saturday over in Indiana or last Saturday down in Miami. And in each of those games, you know, the Hokies in the last six, eight minutes of the game kind of ran out of gas. You know, in Miami, they had crazy turnovers and a bunch of missed free throws down the stretch. And the same thing at Notre Dame. They, they didn't have legs. I thought last night, and Florida State, kind of the way it plays, makes you use your depth because Leonard Hamilton, like he always does, plays a bunch of people. And, and it was kind of a choppy, uh, grinded-out type of game. It reminded me of an old Big East game for the Hokies. But when you go to your bench early and, and guys aren't playing their 33rd, 34th minute in a row, which I think happened at Notre Dame, they're making free throws and they're fresher down the stretch. So... I think that that was the key thing. And, and and one other guy, you know, Lynn Kidd played really well last night. Yeah. Made an impact on the game, did not commit a single foul. And, you know, the Hokies weren't 
they weren't great now. Don't get me wrong. They, they, they still have baffling turnovers that make you scratch your head. But the effort was there, and at the end of the day, I think being quicker to the ball. You, do you remember you know, Coach Beheim when I was in school at Syracuse, used to talk about this a lot. Most rebounds occur below the shoulders, <laughs> you know. Uh, people think rebounding, you got to be 6'9 and go up and get it. Being quick to the ball is huge. And I thought last night against FSU, the Hokies were just – they were quicker to the ball. If there was a loose ball, they went and got it. And Florida State is a hard team to out-rebound. And, 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 and Leonard has always had teams that get second chances. And Man, they live by tip-ins and having big dudes. And you got to keep them off the boards because in the first game down in Tallahassee, which the Knowles won by three, they had 11 offensive rebounds. And that's just way too many. And last night, Tech didn't allow that to happen. And the results were a, a home win for Mike Young's team. Yeah, no, it's huge to out rebound Florida State, thirty-five to twenty-three. Offensive rebounds, thirteen to sixteen. Uh, I did want to give a shout out to Tyler Nickel. He was six of nine, had fifteen points. But this is a Hokies team here that lives and dies by the three-point line. They hit forty-seven point eight percent last night. They're going to win most games when they shoot like that. But I do think I think if you're going to make threes down the stretch in in minutes. So basketball games, 40 minutes. and I guess You'd have to look at the analytics to see the sweet spot in that. But in, in minutes 34 to 40, so the last six minutes of the game, for a guy like Padula, who, who's guarding, you know, our league has really good point guards. He spends so much energy on defense that it, it, if his – if the 34th minute of the game is the 33rd minute that Padula has played, I don't think his shooting percentage is very good. But when it's maybe the 26th minute that he's played, I think he makes those shots. And he clearly makes his free throws, which is what happened last night. You know, he's not Malcolm Delaney, where every time he gets the ball at the elbow, he can get to the free throw line because he's going to draw a foul. Malcolm was great at that. But Padula's quick enough to, to make other people uh, you know, really work to defend him. And he's quick enough to draw help and get to the free throw line. And that's huge in the last five, six minutes of a game. You know, national pundits, you know, may be saying the ACC is down this year, but there are enough teams that are good in the ACC that the Hokies have a huge opportunity with UNC and UVA as their next two games. You know, I think the ACC, in a way, is a victim of its own success. Is it down? Well, yes, it's down compared to where it used to be, right? Ten years ago, in 2014, you know, we're talking about, like, Duke, Carolina, UVA, Maryland, and at that point, all in the top ten. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I don't. I don't think the ACC has four teams that could win the national championship. You know, that year, if you recall, right, Notre Dame, UVA, Duke, three different teams. One won the regular season championship. One won the ACC tournament, and a third won the national championship. And, no, and none of it was a surprise. I, I don't think. The ACC has three teams that you can expect to win a national championship this year. Candidly, Carolina is probably the only one that you, you anyone else would be a surprise at this point. So compared to that, yeah, it's down. But it's a really good league, and and we talked about this before. When 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 Kansas loses on the road at West Virginia, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Kansas loses at West Virginia, and everybody talks about well, Morgantown is a tough place to play and they give the Jayhawks a break. Okay, 
when when Duke and North Carolina both lose at Georgia Tech, it's just a bad loss. You know, and it's like you know maybe Georgia Tech and a first year coach have some pretty good players. You know, I Georgia Tech's also a tough place to play because they got a, a new coach. Their kids play really hard, and I don't think that the ACC and the Big Twelve are being graded with the same yardstick. You know, if Kansas loses at West Virginia and North Carolina loses at Georgia Tech, why is one not a bad loss and the other is? So I think by the end of the day, if you go back and look at the NCAA tournament the last few years, the ACC has done just fine. Put teams into the Elite Eight, the Final Four winning games. This year we may not have a number one seed again, and, and, and that's that's disheartening a little bit. Um, but I think by the end of the day we'll have more than four teams in the tournament. You know, I've I read Lenardi again today, and he only has four ACC teams in. Let's see a month from now or six weeks from now how many teams are in the tournament. Well, I think you're going to get a, a one seed on the women's side, and the Lady Hokies have won seven straight, and they've got a tough test. You mentioned it against Duke tomorrow, 8 p.m. on the ACC Network. Kara Lawson's Blue Devil squad held the Hokies just 46 points last time they faced off against them. Yeah, worst game of the year. But, you know, that happened in 23 as well. The Hokies lost the game at Duke and then ran the table. Didn't lose again, regular season or ACC tournament. And then they didn't lose till they got all the way to the Final Four to the LSU game. I I don't know. This this is a really interesting week. Like, even if you don't follow women's basketball, it's, it's you know, N- NC State, by all sense, by every metric, is the top team. They're a number one seed in the tournament bracket already. Well, the Hokies have beaten them twice. Right. And they beat them twice last year. But here's why this week is huge. The Hokies have they have a Duke at home and then Louisville on the road on the women's side. If they if they somehow win both, they're gonna have a two they're gonna have two games at hand on everybody else in the league. And they could win the regular season championship again. Yeah. And but Louisville's really good. Louisville stubbed its toe at Syracuse and um now they're going to play the Hokies at the Yum Center. So that that is Sunday at 2. But tomorrow night should be a lot of fun. Castle, Virginia Tech basketball for women's basketball right now is an amazing atmosphere. It's one of the best in the country. Everyone who's ever seen a game at Castle knows what it's like when, when the joint is full. And I think Tech's athletics department has done a really good job creating a great environment. And the students have bought in, and the, and the, and the local community in Blacksburg has bought into the team. And it'll be a lot of fun tomorrow night. How about uh, Hokies celebrating the Super Bowl? Tamari Connor. Good to see that, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Michael Phillips and I were in Vegas, and uh, we sat down with Tamari at uh, opening ceremony for about five minutes. We're, we're proud of him, and I know he's excited about – I haven't talked with him, but you got to be excited about the ring he's about to get. And 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 they're not done, you know. that They've got, a, <laughs> they've got a, in essence, a young team, so – Hopefully he's he's in a great spot with a great coach and I'm, I'm we're all proud of him and uh, you know another former Hokie Brandon Flowers he's a Chiefs guy every time I see Brandon he, he's I see him when I'm down at my place in Florida he lives he lives in South Florida and he's either wearing he, sometimes it's both he's wearing a Chiefs a Chiefs pullover <laughs> and a Virginia Tech cap or vice versa <laughs> and so he's probably the happiest guy around as well. Bill always appreciate it thanks so much. See you, man. Have a good week. Yep, that was the Cowan Gates Hokies update with Bell Roth on the fan.
Welcome back to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. It is Wednesday at 2.15, which means it's time to bring in the czar, Gary Hess. How you doing, man? Welcome back to town. Yes. You guys were awesome last week. Hey, you were awesome, too. I appreciate you filling in on the VCU pregame show. Yeah, I had a, I had a great time Friday night, did a couple of interviews, which, of course, you know, I've done a few of those, and... Uh, so yeah, it was great. Got to see some people I know in the Commonwealth room. So yeah, I had a great time and the Rams got a win. So let's get in the car and drive. How are the roads looking? Get out of the way, damn it. Time for a drive down Richmond Highway with Gary Hess, sports director and the voice of high school football in Richmond, Virginia. I understand there's traffic. You need to plan for that. Let's drive down Richmond Highway with Gary Hess on AWOD Radio. All right, let's start with Friday night at the Siegel Center. I mean, I had extreme FOMO there being in Vegas. I was actually in the airport watching the game about to board my flight, and it seemed like the best crowd of the season. It was a great crowd. It was an electric atmosphere, and uh, it was, you know, Part of it was great defense by VCU, but the other part of it was neither team shot very well. And so it was, you know, when you get a game, I think the final was 47 to 45. 49-47. 49-47. So that and it was and that game had the look of a 49-47 game too. But you got to make the plays to win. VCU made the plays to win, got the defense on the final play, and and that was that. Yeah, and you know what's great with being a, a VCU alum myself? member of Ram Nation. I look up at the standings and ahead of VCU I see Loyola, Chicago, Dayton, and Richmond. Three teams that we've already beaten this season. There you go. (laughs) And uh, it's going to be interesting because the Rams have seven games left and Dayton is still on the schedule again. Richmond's on the schedule again. Both of those on the road. And, you know, this Rams team is rounding into form. The other thing I've noticed, and I don't know if you've looked at the A-10 standings, but there is a slight bit of separation between four and five. Yes. Which kind of get, you know, so those three teams that you mentioned plus VCU all have the inside track to get that top four seed and the coveted double buy. Yep, the double buy is is huge because you get that game on Thursday. You have Friday off to prepare for your semifinal game should you make it that far. And look, I think there could be a lot of changes in the top four seeds. You're right. I think the separation is huge because you want that double buy. But I wouldn't be shocked if you saw VCU climb their way up the standings, like you said, with games against Richmond and Dayton left. They kind of control their own destiny. They do. They they really do. And, you know, I think even though VCU has beaten Dayton, I think the key is going to be to avoid Dayton's side of the bracket because I've seen VCU beat Dayton, I've seen Richmond beat Dayton, but I still believe Dayton's the best team in the league. And so uh, VCU is going to have to prove that they can get past that. The, but, you know, if you beat them at Dayton – then you got an argument to be the best team in the league. You know they control their own destiny to get to that top seed, but staying in the top four is really what matters. Driving down Richmond Highway with the Czar Gary Hess and the Sports Director here at WRNL nine ten the Fan. Talk a little ACC hoops. Gary is our ACC insider, and we'll start with the team that was victorious last night in the late game. Virginia Tech defeated Florida State eighty three to seventy five, led by Hunter Couture and Sean Padula, combining for thirty nine points. When the backcourt plays like that, 
the Hokies can beat almost any team in the ACC. They can, and Couture and uh, and uh, Padula. Padula got the job done. But the other thing I want to point out in that game is that Lynn Kidd. There was a Lynn Kidd sighting. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and you know he has kind of been missing in action some in this ACC season. But twelve points and fifteen rebounds. That was as huge a part of the win as it was uh, the, the shooting of Couture and Padula. And Padula did it only making one three pointer in the game by the way as well so found other ways to score uh, and that is kind of the formula the other thing uh, and I heard uh, coach Young talk about it in the post game they really um, you know were quicker to the ball you know Mm -hmm. the the 50-50 balls all went to Tech whereas when they played in Tallahassee they all went to Florida State and I know you get tired of me talking about this but I did want to read you Jameer Watkins stat line from the Florida State game last night 26 points 6 rebounds 4 assists 3 blocks and 2 steals he is just leading that team in an amazing way of filling up the stat sheet besides scoring points uh, three for three from three point range, nine of eleven from from the free throw stripe. The VCU transfers having a great year for the Seminoles. Absolutely, I, I think the biggest thing is six out for me in the box score is the forty seven percent from the free throw line for the Hokies. Not free throw line, three point line. Right, and that includes Tyler Nickel going three for four off the bench. I mean, that's just so huge. And that's on a night when Padula only makes one. Right. Yeah. I mean, three-point shooting has been, you know, they live by the three, they die by the three. Last thing I wanted to mention, Sean Padula, so ball dominant and has been so good this year scoring the basketball, but at times too many turnovers. I liked how his assist-to-turnover ratio was even last night, four assist-to-four turnovers. I believe the last game he had three assist-to-six turnovers. You need the assist-turnover ratio in your favor. I completely agree. And, uh, you know, those two guys are going to be the key straws. But uh, having Lynn Kidd be the guy who can contribute on the inside, double-digit points, double di- those double-doubles, you know, 15 rebounds, that is huge, especially against a team with the size that Florida State has. And the longest home win streak in the country came to a close last night as the UVA Cavaliers fall to Pitt 74 to 63. I think the Panthers just made another three pointer. <laughs> they made threes from everywhere. And, you know, when you have, when you face a team that's shooting threes that hot and some even contested, you've got to be top shelf offensively. And they weren't last night. And then, you know, there were defensive lapses, but then Pitt made contested ones too. You can't have lapses when they're making contested threes too. 14 threes and another stat from the Virginia game that's a little under, uh, Undervalued double digit offensive rebounds Ooh. for Pitt last night, too. Yeah. So, you know, you miss a three, you get a second chance, and you make a three. That's a killer. So, uh, you know, UVA could not get it done. Um, you know, still, uh, I still think there are good things in front of this team, but, uh, you know, they really need to lock in. Uh, and I think, you know, and I watch this team play, Reese Beekman is a known quantity. He's the, you know, probably the odds on favor to be defensive player of the year. 19 points, six rebounds, five assists. He's doing his job. McNeely's doing the job shooting. Uh, Ryan Dunn has got to elevate his game for UVA. I don't, I haven't seen uh, as good a stuff from him, but how this team responds playing at home again this weekend against a really good Wake Forest team is going to be interesting to see. It is so interesting because, you know, UVA brings it defensively, and I thought they played pretty good defensively, except Pitt was hitting shots, contested jump shots. I mean, Blake Hinson, I watched the game, hit three threes right with a guy in his face. One of them a step back three in the corner. It was just so impressive. And so when you're 
you're playing strong defense and they're scoring in your face, it is so important that you execute offensively and take good shots. And there were a few possessions for UVA in the second half where they shot after one pass. Shot after one pass or in transition or even run the offense and then take a, you know, you know, Virginia, they talk about Virginia typically being comfortable with the shot clock running out. Well, there's a few players on this team that don't have that look. The shot clock gets to nine or eight and you still got time for two or three more passes. Uh, but you know, they'll, they'll, they'll rush a shot here and there. The other problem for UVA. Is they're the worst free throw shooting team in the ACC, and so you get to the free throw. And Ryan Dunn misses two in a row. Reese Beekman gets an and one, misses the free throw. You can't miss free throw. You you got to, you can't be a fifty nine sixty two percent free throw shooting team if you're going to win key games in March. Yeah, look, it's a it's a bad loss for UVA, but we should give Pitt a lot of credit. They've won at Duke this season. They've now won at UVA. They're winners of four straight. They're a talented team. Uh, but just from the UVA perspective, it sucks because it looked like you had a chance to maybe get a top four seed in March in the NCAA tournament, and now that's going to be tough. Yeah, they were in the 8-9 uh, end of the bracket, so they would had to keep working their way up. Now it's going to be tough, but Duke and Carolina are still on the schedule. And, uh, you know, if they could somehow win both of those games, but that's going to be a tall order. They, I think, off the top of my head, they got to go to Cameron. They have Carolina in Charlottesville. North Carolina struggled last night, losing to Syracuse, eighty-six to seventy-nine. Uh, you know, UNC, even though they're they've been really good in the ACC, eleven and three, they haven't won many games by a large margin. It has been a, a few like close wins at the same time. But you know, it's funny you mentioned that because this was the second meeting of the year with Syracuse, and the first game with Syracuse, I think it was thirty-six point margin. They just absolutely blew the doors off yeah. Syracuse. But last night, it was a different story up at the Dome. Signature win for Adrian Autry, right? Uh, I mean, his first year as the Syracuse coach. What a great job uh, they did last night. And they, you know, if you – I watched some of the second half of that game when it was apparent UVA wasn't going to win. And, uh, you know – Carolina kept coming at Syracuse in waves, and somebody would step up and make a play to to hold that off. They held him at arm's length and then got the job done at the end. Great win for Syracuse. And now what do you make of the ACC? You sit here and look at the conference standings, and, you know, and if UVA could have won last night, they'd be tied for first in the yeah. league. But right now, uh, you got to look at you know Carolina and Duke with three. I, I look at the loss column because not everybody's played the same number of games. Carolina Duke with three losses, Virginia with four, Wake Forest with five. And then you have a bit of a gap there, right, with three teams tied at seven and six. What's interesting with me with North Carolina, you look at their last five games. They lose to Georgia Tech by one. They had that game against Duke that the whole country was watching. They end up winning that one by nine, but that was back and forth for most of the first half. Then they lose to Clemson, escape at Miami by a three-point victory, and I was watching that one. Miami should have won. Right. Then they lose to Syracuse. So they're beatable right now. They are beatable, and part of that is... You know, we saw uh, Kansas got their doors blown off by Texas Tech the other night. What you are seeing is that the conference in the conference, the conference wars. There's familiarity, there is uh, knowledge, there's passion, there's history, and you know teams lose in conference in in February. That's that's just part of the reality in modern college basketball. So this Carolina team is Final Four capable. 
but they you know they can get beat on a given night they're not they're not foolproof uh and you know they they've got to bring it because they don't have a ton of depth so the guys that they have in that starting lineup have got to step up and perform want to go around college hoops action last night in top 25 uh matchups you had oklahoma against baylor number 12 in the country Jaden nunn former vcu ram eight of 12 27 points and three rebounds. So it's not just Jameer Watkins having success <laughs> outside right. of VCU. Iowa State beat Cincinnati 68-59. to That could have been a huge win for the Rams. Had them up by 15 in Orlando. And then Shaka Smart and Marquette defeats Butler 78-72. to You know, uh, Marquette was ranked in the top five earlier this year. They went through a little bit of a dip uh, and struggled a little bit for a while and almost felt I may have fallen all the way out of the top 25 or almost. And they have now won, I don't know if you have in front, seven or eight in a row now or something. They are playing really, really well, um, doing well. Eight in a row now. Eight in a row now. So uh, Marquette, uh, you know, the calendar turned to February and they, they're, they're getting going. I think, off the top of my head, I think they're clearly the second best team in the Big East. Uh, you know, and Connecticut is starting to look like a, a, a challenger to repeat, yes. which I don't think has happened since Duke. Has that happened since Duke in the early nineties? Florida, Florida, oh, oh six oh seven. Yeah, that's right. Yep. The year they took down George Mason yes. in route to winning it Yannick all. Yannick Noah. Yes, absolutely. Al Horford. <laughs> Al Horford, that's right. Billy Corey Brewer. I mean, you're bringing it back to me right, right now. Billy Donovan, that's right. Yeah. So uh, tell us about the All-Metro Banquet. So the All-Metro Banquet every year is the, is kind of the celebration of the high school football season. And that banquet was held Monday night over at the uh, Short Pump Hilton. And uh, it, was a, it was a great night. We got to honor the All-Metro team. All-Metro Player of the Year, Christian Martin from Highland Springs, the Offensive and Defensive Players of the Year. The OPOY was Harry Dalton from Dinwiddie, the Defensive Player of the Year, Caleb Williams from uh, uh, from uh, Matoica. And then uh, we also, the Touchdown Club Coaches of the Year uh, were honored. And then uh, a couple of other, uh, you know, we gave uh, a, a Distinguished Service Award to Tom Hall, who has stepped down after 25 years at Manchester uh, and had won a state title, 194 wins. Uh, and he hasn't, he's not retiring, but that was a great uh, one and honor him. And then I wanted to give a shout out to Billy Mills, who you've had on the show yeah. before. Billy Mills from Dinwiddie, who earlier, who this past season reached the 200 win milestone. And he's only the sixth area coach who coached most of his career in the Richmond area who to, to reach the 200 win plateau uh, in history. So that was, I wanted to give a shout out to him again because that 200 win milestone is very significant. Tom Hall's just south of it. If he decides to coach again, he'll hit that. And Lauren Johnson at Highland Springs will hit it next season. He's at 197. Yeah, that's awesome stuff. Yep. So it was, it was a great night. And I always feel like the All Metro Bank, it kind of puts the final period on the high school football season. Yep. And so now we'll look ahead to. 2024 and cranking up in August. And the Super Bowl puts a final period on the entire NFL season. Do you have any final thoughts on the game? Is Kyle Shanahan botching it here in the second half of the big games? You know, I don't I don't think so. I think that's over analysis. I think they have, you know, things happen. They were right there. They could have easily won the game. Um, you know, you you look at little things that could have happened, and a lot of it doesn't have anything to do with with Kyle Shanahan. I mean, you know, there's the you know, I I, I think of several things. There was one play where uh, is it Chris Jones? I get the 
the def- who's the defensive end? The defensive Chris Jones. Yeah, the, for the Chiefs. Yeah, put the pressure on Purdy, and Purdy missed a wide open uh, uh, touchdown, like a fifty yard touchdown to uh, Debo Samuel. That would have probably put the game away. There are things like that that happen, and I don't, I don't think that's on the coach. And the other thing is, I think it's being overanalyzed about what happened with the coin flip in overtime. I really do. I think you know. I think the logic of okay, if both teams f- kick a field goal or both teams score a touchdown, then we're the ones that have the ball with a chance to win the game in sudden death. And I understand that logic, but I would argue, hey, the Chiefs were going to go for two. You weren't getting the ball back. You weren't getting a last lick there. I understand. You kind that. of need to defer. And then I would also say that maybe you could argue he didn't lose the game in the fourth quarter, but the three possession in the in the third quarter where they went punt, punt, punt without handing the ball off to McCaffrey. Now I will that was say bad that. play calling. I, I will say that McCaffrey did not touch the ball enough. And I looked at it at the end, and I looked at it and he had twenty two carries. And he caught eight passes. I think it was eight for 80. Eight for 80 and 22 for 80. 22 for 80. Yeah. So he had 30 touches. And it's amazing to me. He had 30 touches and it felt like he didn't touch the ball enough. Right. And so. Uh, and they just the- don't have enough playmakers outside of him. Right. Really? Because George Kittle disappeared. I mean, that that's what we should be talking about. What well, happened to George Kittle? Well, it's funny because George Kittle caught that great pass on the first drive and it got called back. Yeah. And then, of course, they missed him in the overtime. He was out. He got hurt and left the game. Right. And so, but yeah, George Kittle. But, you know, George Kittle can only catch the passes that Brock Purdy throws to him. And so that's part of it, you know. And, you know, and, but, you know, with Iuke, you know, it was so much – uh, you know, Jawan Johnson had a great game, and they yeah. found other guys. You know, Debo Samuel didn't touch the ball enough. Well, how much in mean, a big game does it come down to? You can have all the playmakers in the world, but who has the better quarterback usually wins, right? And I, you know, and and let me tell you, you know, you look at you know Joe Burrow's made it to a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Josh Allen hasn't made it to a Super Bowl. You talk about all these great young quarterbacks, and they're all being blocked by the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. And so, you know, I think Kyle Shanahan's an excellent coach. I think he's going to eventually get his Super Bowl. I think the 49ers are an excellent team. Did they make some mistakes? Yes. The Chiefs did, too. This just in. Uh, (laughs) But when push comes to shove, Patrick Holmes, and, you know, I heard somebody say, one of the talking heads said it, and I said it to Linda, the second San Francisco kicked that field goal, I was like, this game's over. Chiefs are going to score a touchdown. And it was fourth and one at midfield. I was like Chiefs are going to convert. They're, you know, I don't know what's going. I don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to. And it, that was when uh, Mahomes ran the ball. And you know, I was like, I never. Did. Once they kicked the field goal, I was like, you know, you're going to have to. You know, you know, Mahomes is one of those guys where if you want the Lombardi Trophy, you have to pry it from my cold dead fingers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, he's that good. He's he, just that. He clutch. is that good. You know, and he's. You know, everybody talks about comparing him to Brady. You know, Brady's got seven of these things now. You know. Brady played into his 40s. Mahomes is still 28. Maybe he'll get there. Maybe he won't. But, you know, seven Lombardi trophies is, you know, he's, you know, if he gets wins one more, he's going to be tied for second all time, and he's still in his 20s. So it's unbelievable. He's one of the all time greats. There's no doubt about it. And we should appreciate every minute we get to watch him play. That's Gary Hess, the czar and sports director here at WRNL. I'm Adam Epstein, and you're listening to AWOD on the fan. Let's drive down Richmond Highway with Gary Hess on AWOD Radio.